This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Man, it was a rough weekend for your boy. Even though we got the Panthers buck score right on the nose, I was 0 for 5 on my bets for the weekend. So first off, sorry about that. I don't think that's ever happened before, Robert. But let's talk about the Panthers and Cam Newton. You aren't going to find a bigger Cam fan in the media than me. He's fun. He's charismatic. I find his comeback from injury to be inspiring. However, even after watching him throw for nearly 400 yards last night, I still believe it was the right decision for the Panthers to move off of him in March. It has nothing to do with Cam the guy as much as it does what's best for the next five to seven years in the franchise's history. Quite simply, they don't get Teddy Bridgewater if Cam's still here. Teddy had options. He decided to take less money and likely less years to be reunited with Joe Brady, but I doubt he does that if Cam is still waiting in the wings. A fan favorite, a former MVP. Rightfully so. Teddy, I don't think he gave the Panthers an ultimatum or anything, but Carolina understood it. Teddy, he he sat the last two years behind Drew Brees. He was 5-0 last year. He wanted to play this season. He isn't going to play if Cam Newton's ahead of him. He just isn't. Teddy's younger. He knows the offense he's going to be running. Cam Newton didn't. And he also was really good yesterday. I don't think Panther fans are acknowledging how well Teddy's played the last two weeks because they're 0-2. 370 yards, 70% completion. Actually, I got that wrong. 79% completion yesterday. That's exactly what you want. Joe Brady's trying to recreate the Saints offense. What does Drew Brees do really well? He completes a lot of throws, even if it's not deep down the field, accumulates a lot of yardage. Uh, That's what Teddy does. Aside from that pick he had early on, I thought he was terrific. But the main reason why I wanted to start the show with this today. Man, you guys want to make a judgment so soon on this. We're really going to know the answer on whether or not Carolina made the right call with Cam three years from now. We're not going to know now. Unless Cam didn't play this year, Or he was completely terrible, which, by the way, I don't think the Panthers thought. We weren't going to know the answer to this question, ultimately, until 2023. Maybe even longer than that. It's way too soon to make a judgment. It's like breaking up with your girlfriend that you were dating for about a year and a half. Then, within six months, she's dating Ryan Gosling. That's what it would be like, right, Robert? Like, if you're the Panthers, you broke up with Cam, who's been great to you, you had great moments, but things grew stale. You realize that in the longer picture, okay, he's older, you know, I don't really see this going anywhere in the long term. I'm going to part ways. It's difficult, but I'm going to part ways because I know that's what's best for me right now. But it doesn't mean it's not painful seeing them be successful, right? Like, just because it's the right decision, I don't expect Panther fans to be happy with 
losing a game by two touchdowns nonetheless than watching your ex have success. Watching Harrison Butker hit the field goal from 58 a handful of times who you could have had rather than keeping Graham Gano on a more expensive contract. Watching Greg Olson start 2-0. And, of course, watching Cam throw for 400 yards. That would be the analogy. Is it a good one? Yeah, I think so. But I think Panthers fans are going to be hurt even longer. It's going to be like when Cam's playing for his third team down the road, it's going to be like, why is my ex dating Jeff Goldblum? Why is this old man still breaking my heart? (laughs) Yeah, that's probably what it's going to be like. It's not what anybody wants to hear. We want to react in the the immediate, and there are a lot of sports talk hosts who host shows just like this one doing the thing today where they judge the Panthers and say that it was a bad decision for them to move off of Cam Newton, who you're probably not going to think of three years years from now if Teddy Bridgewater is still the guy or if Matt Rule has the Panthers in a place where they're in a lot better spot than they would be right now even if Cam Newton was under center. Because here's the biggest trick of it all. Cam being cut was the best thing that happened for Cam's legacy here. He isn't winning that game yesterday. Like, if Cam Newton was starting instead of Teddy Bridgewater, if you're a big Cam Newton fan, what are you expecting him to do that Teddy wasn't? Oh, he can run more, sure, but I don't know who you've been watching the last decade, but Cam isn't the most accurate passer. You're not getting 79% completion from Cam. Christian McCaffrey's out of the game. He's still going to be under duress and probably making just as many mistakes. Carolina's probably losing that game yesterday. If Cam Newton's at quarterback or Drew Brees is at quarterback, maybe not Russell Wilson Wilson or Lamar Jackson, but or Pat Mahomes in that matter. Wow, that was an amazing game by him yesterday. Carolina isn't winning if Cam Newton is under center. So it's great for Cam's legacy that he leaves Carolina and does so in a way where the fan base still loves him. And in fact, they're mad that you're not there anymore because they're convinced, even if it's not true, that if you were the quarterback instead of Teddy, you would be having more success. He's now with a better coach. He's now in a better situation and a better spot where he can have the Randall Cunningham or Michael Vick second part of his career, which is more based in passing than it is running than he would be if he was still a Carolina Panther. So I think Carolina is in a better position because they have the younger quarterback. They could still evaluate things. Remember, only three players on the roster are older than 30 years old. But it hurts in the near term. It's probably going to be the most painful season in Carolina Panthers history. But I'm happy for Cam because Cam's in a better spot. It's better that Cam is playing somewhere else. And I'm glad to see him having success. I would love to hear a Panthers fan give me their thoughts on this. Are you happy to see Cam playing well for the Patriots? 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Robert has something special cooked up for me that we'll get to in about 10 minutes. Again, I was 0 for 5 in my bets over the weekend. I can't remember a time where that's happened. But we need to get to the big news of the day. Christian McCaffrey officially diagnosed with a high ankle sprain that when I look at the recovery time generally for those, four to six weeks. 
four to six weeks, and I am terrified by this. I think it's time to put McCaffrey in bubble wrap for the remainder of the year. That isn't to say he doesn't play again for Carolina in 2020. I don't want to see McCaffrey having the 26-touch game like he did in week one. That's what I'm saying. You need to protect your future asset. This injury terrifies me because Christian McCaffrey, before this injury, has had no other injury history since his sophomore or junior season in high school. He had an ankle sprain in high school. Since then, has played every single game for Stanford other than the bowl game that he opted out of. Played every single game of his first three seasons in the NFL for the Panthers and started the last two games of 2020. And now he has a high ankle sprain. That scares me. Because they've got $30 million guaranteed going his way. That's guaranteed money moving forward. And Robert, they can't opt out of that until at the earliest 2023, right? Yeah, that's what the contract looks like. They would have to take a lot of dead money on to get rid of it. Like you're talking about $24 million that you're going to have to eat in dead money if you cut them before 2023? It's a lot. That's brutal. (laughs) So this guy, he's going to be on your team for the remainder of this year, but guaranteed after that, two more years just to get past the portion where it's palatable to cut them if you have to. Palatable. Like beyond that, you're still talking about $4 million, $8 million you're going to be eating if you cut them beyond 2023. You have to protect your asset. You do not want a Todd Gurley-like situation. Granted, Todd's injuries were more severe. He had the ACL tear um, when he was at the University of Georgia. He's had some problems with his hamstrings, and the knee tendonitis. I haven't heard many instances like that. But Le'Veon Bell, he certainly hasn't been worth the contract the New York Jets handed out to him. I would be concerned about this. I was for giving McCaffrey the extension, but the fact that it's not hitting immediately and it's been deferred starting in 2022, it concerns me a little bit here. Carolina has to do a little bit more protecting their investment in McCaffrey. Because guess what? Panther fans already know this. They're not winning this year. You know who McCaffrey is. This is an evaluation year. You don't need to evaluate Christian. You know how good he is. So develop Reggie Bonifant, who we're going to see a lot of this weekend. Mike Davis, who got, he only had one carry yesterday, which is a little surprising, but had all those screen passes. Had a pretty nice afternoon in Tampa, if I'm being honest. This is the year where the Panthers are going to be bad. They're not going to be interesting. Since Luke Kuechly's not around, you lose Greg Olson, you don't have Cam, you have a new coaching staff. I've seen some fans complaining about the fact, oh, I don't have anything that attaches me to this team. I don't have any reason to follow the Panthers. If that's the case and it's what's best for the football team, perfect year for that to happen, right? (laughs) You don't have to worry about bad attendance when no fans are allowed to show up. So the team's going to be bad. Put McCaffrey in bubble wrap. Protect your investment. That's what needs to happen moving forward. Coming up. I face the music for my horrific weekend, and we actually get into breaking down yesterday's Panthers-Bucks game. Keep it here on a Monday Drive. People got the popcorn? Let's give them a show. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. 
with Appalachian State Marshall. I think this is one of the best group of five teams in America. I think it's going to go over that. I see both teams scoring into the 30s with a finishing touch on a takedown of a top 25 team. 17-7 the final. Georgia Tech plus seven and a half against UCF. I don't think they're going to be really competitive in ACC play, but I think UCF is a little overhyped here. And that'll finish things. And for UCF, their fifth straight opening season win, 13 of their last 15, they've had a season opening win. Wake Forest, plus two and a half. I think they're better than the pack. I think they're more prepared than the pack. He fires, and that one is broken up by the Wolfpack. NC State is going to win this one, 45-42. to 42. The Washington football team is getting seven. If Washington loses, it will be by either a touchdown or less. So I think this is a pretty good bet here. Murray inside the tent. Look at that move. Touchdown for his second touchdown rushing of the season. 21 yards, and what a performer he's become. Eagles, Rams. It was a pick'em. Now it's Eagles minus one. This has Eagles written all over it. Golf with time. Golf with Higby open in the end zone. Touchdown Rams. Number three today for Tyler Higby. <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty bad over the weekend. Somebody messaged me this morning saying, Josh, I've listened to your show for a long time and I put $50 down on each bet that you placed or that you uh you read off on Friday. So I'm I'm in the can $250. I feel like I should do something for that person. I don't know what that is. Give that man his money back. How about <laughs> so dumb. How about on Friday if I don't have a winning weekend, I'll pay back whatever you lose there you go. from this weekend. From everybody. I'm going to bounce back. This Friday I'm going to bounce back. The Carolina Panthers, we'll see if they bounce back against the L.A. Chargers coming up this week. I've read when Tyrod Taylor is healthy, he's going to be the starter again for the Chargers, even though I thought Herbert was pretty good yesterday. It seems like, though, Tyrod might miss another game on Sunday, so Carolina's going to go on the road to the Chargers, but we have plenty of time to break down that game. You can easily just watch the first 20 minutes yesterday in Tampa and feel like I know exactly what happened here. Just watch the first 20 minutes, look at the final score, and you would think the Panthers weren't even close. But just like I tell myself after I believe I had a bad interview or a bad radio show altogether, it's usually not as bad as you think. When I listen back, I hear the good when I'm expecting the bad, and conversely, when I think I have a great show, I hate listening back to it because then I only hear the mistakes. I think yesterday for the Panthers was a team loss decided in the slim margins. It wasn't a blowout. I think it was decided by a couple of key players in the uh, in the matchup, starting with Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, if you're the quarterback, you're the one that's going to be attached to wins and losses. That's what we do. We... We don't chart what a team's record is when one guy's playing left tackle or if a guy's starting at running back. We do it with the quarterbacks, and we always have. Teddy Bridgewater, outside of that throw on the first drive that he inexplicably, uncharacteristically overthrew the back in, leading to that interception, he was outstanding. 
370 yards, 72% completion on the game. Oh, I'm wrong again. 79% completion in the game. He's 72% for the, uh, through the first two weeks. He was awesome. What else do you want from Teddy Bridgewater the rest of the way? Uh, I don't think there's anything. If Teddy plays the way he played yesterday, and even against the Raiders, Carolina's going to have a shot to win games. And they had a shot to win yesterday against Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. But when we're talking about Teddy, what he brings, what his strength is versus Cam Newton, who's been the Panthers quarterback the last decade, the one strength that kept being hit over our heads, he doesn't make bad mistakes. He makes good decisions. He's good with clock management. He doesn't have the inexplicable turnover. And he had that yesterday. So I'm not going to do the Jeff Bizdelic thing where I say, if you take out that 18-0 run, we were right there in it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give Teddy a pass on that interception. It was a terrible turnover for Carolina. Uh, the other thing was clock management at the end of the game. I think it was third and manageable. You're closing in on two minutes left to go. The two-minute warning, you only have two timeouts remaining. You want to make sure, if you're going to kick the field goal or score the touchdown, that it happens before you get to the two-minute warning so you reserve the extra stoppage. But Teddy on third down, he checked it down to Mike Davis, who was well short of the sticks. Teddy Bridgewater's strength is supposed to be awareness. And he had a few turnovers yesterday. I don't really fault him for... The, the fumble, because, again, he was under duress for much of the day. But the interception I put on him and the clock management at the end of the fourth quarter I put on him as well. Slim margins. If you take those two things away, Carolina very well could have won that game. Then you got Matt Rule and Joe Brady. Another third and two. Uh, this is the fake punt. They're on the plus side of the field, third and two from the 37, and Christian McCaffrey's on the sidelines. This is before he got hurt. They give the ball to Mike Davis. He stopped. It's fourth and one. 36-yard line. Matt Rule told me earlier today that he felt with the wind, he didn't want to attempt a field goal outside of the 32-yard line. He thought he had it in a good coverage with Tampa Bay running more of a, a safety coverage, a punt safety coverage. They could surprise them. I think at that spot, you just go for it. It's plus side of the field. Everybody's thinking you should go for it. So they're expecting the punt in a situation like that, the punt fake. And they just go up the middle to Jeremy Chin, and it doesn't work. I thought that was an example of coaching inexperience. You had the right call. It was the right situation, the right coverage that the, the Buccaneers were showing. But if you're going to run the element of surprise fake punt, have it be in a circumstance where it would actually be a surprise. I don't think anybody was surprised that they ran the fake punt there. Then lastly, it's youth on defense. Nine penalties for 77 yards. It extended drives. I think about Derrick Brown. He's playing his second NFL game. No OTAs, no preseason. He had the roughing call, which was just not smart. He had a hands-to-the-face call that extended a drive. And those led to scores. Those are things you can't really have, but those are just a few plays that I think made the difference in Carolina losing 31-17, 
that if they break their way, if they make the right decisions, if they're who we are told they're supposed to be, I think Carolina very well could have won in Tampa. I don't think it was a blowout. 31-14 doesn't really represent what that game was. Let's go to Dave and Clemens, who wants in and wants to get the ball rolling on the Carolina Panthers tanking campaign. Are you pro-tanking, Dave? Oh, yeah. I called last Monday to try and get you on board, and I couldn't get you. And I think I'm going to call every Monday until I can get you on board. I want to lay it out. <laughs> We've lost 10 straight games yeah. as a franchise. 10. We have a college coaching staff in over their heads. We've just lost McCaffrey four to six weeks. We are seven-point underdog at the Chargers. Then we come home to the Cardinals. We're staring down at 0-4. I just don't see the value in winning three or four ball games this year, going 3-13, and you know, 4-12. and Why don't we just go 1-15? There's Trevor Lawrence out there. I'm going to get you on board sooner or later. We'll call back every week until I get you on board. I appreciate that. Let me ask you a question before I let you go, though. Which do you like the most out of what I got written down in front of me? Do you like tank for Trevor, despair for the hair, never for Trevor, abhorrence for Lawrence, or pull the Trevor for or pull the lever for Trevor? Pull the lever for Trevor. That, I like that one. That 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 dude's that dude's legit. I mean, which anything, one of those do you not like? I mean, we all know Trevor Lawrence is good, but we're trying to get the right terminology down so Panther <laughs> fans can figure out what to put on Twitter here. The tank for Trevor, that's just too easy. That's right. Yeah, we'll take that one out. Despair for the hair. Robert, do you like abhorrence for Lawrence? Are you down with that? Uh, It's too wordy. Okay, too wordy. Never for Trevor or pull the lever for Trevor? Dave, what do you think? Pull the lever for Trevor. Okay, okay. So we're down with pull the lever for Trevor. What about never for Trevor? Do you like that? Hey, just I just want Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop badgering you. Thanks for the call. You can continue to badger me every Monday. Yeah, well, let's just get Lawrence in Charlotte, and I'll be the happiest camper, and I think you will too. There you go. I'm a, I'm a I'm a big Love fan of Trevor Lawrence. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean I've watched Trevor play six or seven times in person. He's a great kid, very um, polished already when it comes to how he handles the media, how he handles his already high level of celebrity. So I wouldn't hate it, but I, I'm just not a fan of tanking in football. Not a fan of it. What's more shocking? That the Carolina Panthers let go of Cam. That he sat sat around for three months after the fact, or what we saw last night where he's throwing for 400 yards, something he hasn't done since the second game he played for the Panthers in 2011. We'll discuss that with ESPN's Clinton Yates joining us. Next on The Drive. Josh Graham has his finger on the triad sports pulse. So wash your wrist when he's finished. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. So I think if you were to break down Cam Newton's 2020 calendar year, you'd have to do it into three categories. When the Carolina Panthers let go of him in March... Him going literally three months without being picked up by a team. Now playing for the Patriots, where last night he threw for nearly 400 yards, something he hasn't done since his rookie season. And to help break that down with us, we're being joined by ESPN and the undefeated's Clinton Yates. 
who I'd like to picture right now out west is sitting on a beach eating chicken cheese steaks as we're talking to him. And Clinton, if you look at those three phases I just described there, which of the three, which piece do you find most surprising? That Cam was let go by the Panthers in the first place, that he sat idle for three months, or he's performing this kind of way with the Patriots? That's funny you should put that word there because I don't know that I find any of them surprising, but I can tell you what I found the most exciting in which order, in this order, in this way. Number one, getting released from the Panthers was obviously something that needed to happen because people tend to forget. He looked bad as a result of injury, and it wasn't just arm stuff. It was a week two game, I believe, in the preseason. His feet weren't working well, and you just saw to yourself, you said, oh, that's, that's not the player that we know or that he knows, just in terms of how he was delivering the football and everything that was as a result. And so you thought to yourself, maybe this is time to end this, simply because it's not working for the Panthers to move on in that way. And for him, he's got to figure out what's going on. That middle phase, where we start getting all the rock star videos of him working out, you know what I mean, letting the world know who he is, the great video of Hello that he says to Odell Beckham when he's talking to those guys, we got sort of a coming out of Cam the guy. And in the last two weeks of the Patriots, I mean, you know, to me that last part was the most exciting, but in the last two weeks of the Patriots, I think going forward this will be the most exciting because, I mean, you see that guy playing football last night? I mean, this dude looks like a quarterback who is as in command of any offense in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? Never mind just the Patriots at this particular moment. I was more than impressed. Forget about the last play of the game. To me, Cam Newton showed why he should be a starter in the NFL and should have been all along. It's exhilarating. I mean, we, we've we been following the Panthers for with Cam the last decade, and last year the Panthers started 0-2, but that 0-2 is a lot more fun and a lot more interesting with those suits and, zo- and those hats than what we're seeing the last two weeks with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Follow Clinton on Twitter at Clinton Yates, by the way. And I bring up your Twitter to talk about uh, the polarity of certain players because your colleague, mm. Bomani Jones, was with us right after Cam got cut. And we were talking about the most interesting case studies for Cam to step into. And New England was the number one one that he brought up, but he went a step further in saying Cam is the most polarizing player in the NFL. Do you agree with that based on, I mean, everybody, it's a ravenous following that the NFL has. There's a lot of quarterbacks that fans go one way or the other on. Is Cam the most polarizing in your mind? That could be true, but I would say that the value of the person who is the most polarizing singular person in the NFL is much lower than it was even, say, five years ago. I mean, the most polarizing person around the NFL is still Colin Kaepernick. The most polarizing body and sort of entity within the NFL are the players overall. So if Cam singularly is that player, sure, while that might be true, I think in the world of 2020, that's a slightly different sort of calculus in terms of why that matters. However, it's exactly right that it is interesting as hell for New England, simply because of what Boston is. I mean, we all know full well what goes on there and what the things they've had to deal with are in terms of how the fan bases react to black players and so on and so forth. And that's just a small part of it. But the other part, obviously, is the Brady element. You know, I texted a bunch of people the other day who said, be honest with myself. Are you really still rooting for Brady? And that actually has nothing to do with how you feel about Cam. And people are like, no, I want this guy to fail so I can clear the decks to actually like Cam. Now, whether or not they can go through that, if let's say, just say this team gets out to, I don't know, five and five, you know what I mean? I don't know. 
But I, I think that they're getting a little bit of an honest effort. That means the Patriots from Patriots fans about you know who Cam is going to be and who's not. But the problem becomes is if things start going poorly and Cam is still being Cam the way that they know that they don't like and are sort of in very many ways programmed not like because he's such an anti-Tom. That's when we're going to figure out whether or not this really matters or not. As long as he's winning, and I mean winning in the context of putting the Pats in a position to win, I don't think we're going to have a problem. Well, what goes wrong is when things get a little hinky, and all of a sudden folks start saying, oh, I didn't like his attitude the whole time. Well, we'll see what happens there. Clinton Yates, who you know from ESPN, the undefeated, and around the horn with us here on Sports Hub Triad. This is going to sound like a really uh, hot, takey sports talk radio question, but I don't mean it to be. Darren Gant from okay. ProFootballTalk.com, he was with us right before the season started, and we were talking about Cam's resume up to this point without him even playing a snap with New England. And he went as far to say Cam, in all likelihood, would already be a Hall of Famer before he even played with New England when you consider the rushing element of things. Last night he had his 63rd rushing touchdown of his career, which is 19 more on the career touching, uh, touchdowns list than the second-best quarterback, Steve Young. It surpassed Hall of Famer O.J. Simpson. He's one-off Lenny Moore. He's already passed Terrell Davis, too, by the way, another Hall of Famer. He's about to track down Larry Zonka. And, and Clinton, these are guys that, when they played, there wasn't as much passing. There's no such thing as a third down back. And Cam, he seems to be the best rushing threat we've ever seen in the history of the NFL when it comes to the red zone alone. Do you think... Yeah, the operative word there. the operative word there is C. I don't always need all the stats in the chalk talk to tell me when I'm looking at a Hall of Famer. And Cam Newton is absolutely that. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry if you were around concurrently when Cam Newton effectively changed the game of football. You don't need to tell me all the other people he has more rushing touchdowns than, which we already know because we've been watching that daggone dude week in and week out dominate people in the NFL. I mean, you know, at some point to me, the stats are there to back up what your eyeballs have believed for years. And for me, that that's where Cam lies. There's no scenario in which he was not that for me going into this. So all of this is a bonus, and I think that specifically being in New England, there's an interesting runway there for him for maybe, I, I don't know, another five whole seasons as just a passer. Think about that. You know what I mean? And so if you already had him there, and that's a franchise that's used to letting guys get a little long in the tooth behind the, the center if they're willing to and if they're capable, I mean, it's only getting better from there. To me, Cam was a Hall of Famer simply based on watching him play football as just a fan, never mind a guy in the media who has to watch this stuff. You know what I mean? So now, absolutely, going forward, probably even better. I'm, I'm happy for him, man. It's just a good situation. Yeah. It looks great. He's set up to maybe have, with New England, to your point, with Josh McDaniels and that staff, a Randall Cunningham second phase of his career, maybe even a Michael Vick with Andy Reid second phase of his career. We saw how great Mike was um, when he was with the Eagles for that year or two. Clinton Yates with us here from ESPN and the Undefeated. So the Panthers are 0-2. There are a lot of bad teams in the league. Carolina has a college coaching staff running things. Christian McCaffrey's going to be out for at least the next four weeks. It seems like maybe even longer than that. Who's the worst team you watch for the uh, through the first two weeks? I know you were watching some of the Panthers yesterday, but there seems to be a lot of bad football right now. Well, I'll, you know what I'll say? I'll, here's what I'll do. I'll tailor this to the Panthers specifically. The Panthers were the team that I, I thought had the least margin for error in a situation in which they could have gotten something good and failed 
miserably. Now, obviously, the McCaffrey injury is terrible there. But those first two turnovers by the man I like to call Theodore Football, I mean, they were just extremely unfortunate because not only in themselves you look at them from a fundamental standpoint and you say, okay, you really wish you had better communication on whatever that screen pass was that you just missed. All right, sure. And then on the second play, when he fumbles and gets hit from behind, you can say, all right, well, I kind of wish you didn't see that guy coming in front of you because you might not have got rocked in the back and you got hit anyway. You kind of wish those things. But in the context of the game, they were backbreaking. you know? The Panthers were in this lightweight for the first half, first quarter or so, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, they don't have a chance anymore. And that was the real bummer with the way that the Panthers played the game, is that you got like three and a half quarters of garbage time on some level simply because they spotted two turnovers that just, you know, just couldn't be made up from. This wasn't a Falcons-Cowboys situation in which there were like acute failures that specifically cost you the game. This was the over sort of before it started, which I thought was a really unfortunate part about this because I like Bridgewater. I think he deserves the job. Obviously, McCaffrey is a big element, if not the element, in terms of how that offense runs. But it runs dependent on the notion that Theodore can take care of the football, and that just didn't happen yesterday. And so as a result, it's almost not an unfair grade because you think, oh, well, uh, but, I mean, that's the grade it is. And that was, that was a bummer, I think, for Panthers fans who had some glimmer of hope, rightfully so, that there's going to be some development in that front. I, I want to close things out on something that's right up your alley. Ryan McGee is a mutual friend of ours. Every time he, yes. he joins us, he talks minor league baseball with us. He shares stories about his summer with the Asheville Tourist, and he says he's going to write a book on it that might be his next book his book on officiating he sent me a copy it's it's tremendous with his dad and his brother and we love that I know you love baseball a ton and I've always believed baseball stories are the best stories I don't think it's a coincidence that all the best sports movies tend to be baseball movies but in minor league baseball the game is so pure and I think there's an easy connection between the players and the town and the fans. Give me a minor league park or two that come to my when, come to mind when I simply say ballpark experience. Well, I mean, my, see, this is an unfair question because I spend a lot of time going to a lot of parks for a lot of different reasons, and I'll take this time to extol the virtues of the very park you mentioned already, which is where the Asheville tourists play. Now, honestly, that is my answer. Number one, if you've ever been to Asheville, North Carolina, you know they got two things going on there which are tremendous, beer and baseball. And the Maui Invitational. Don't forget about that. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, that's fine. All right, but what I'm saying is that Wicked Weed's (laughs) down there, New Belgium's down there. they got a nice little experience when it comes to what you're imbibing. I don't even go to ballparks for that. I don't really drink at ballparks. However, the Asheville tourists have one of the most magical setups there is fictional home of Crash Davis, let us not forget, from the movie Bull Durham as well, if you want to add a little mystery to it. But no, um, when I think about the tourists, I think about Matt, I think about minor league baseball. But there's a lot of parks around. You know, Bowie's got a park outside of D.C. Uh, the Peanuts are trying to figure it out down there. They've moved from um, Woodbridge to Fredericksburg. So that's, you know, there's a lot going on there. And there's just, you know, there's a lot of different parks in a lot of different places in America that have so much different appeal for so many different reasons. I was just down at um, Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark in Oklahoma City, home of the Oklahoma City Dodgers last week for something. That's a great facility. I think of people like the St. Paul Saints, not even an affiliated team, an independent squad. You get up there, you go to Minnesota, take your butt down on the light rail all the way down to St. Paul, you're going to find yourself a nice ballpark. There's so many different experiences. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm pressing favorites on that because I'm not. I'm trying to get to them all before I get dead, y'all. That's the fun part. I'll let people know why my favorite. I'm partial to the Winston-Salem Dash here in the triad. Um, oh, I got season tickets. 
That's right. The hyphens. That's that's who I root for, right yeah, behind home plate. I've been there. They got a they got a solid parking lot set up where you could get a windshield broken. Like that is <laughs> in play if you're not careful. Shoot them on uh, follow on Twitter if you haven't already. At Clinton Yates. Appreciate you spending the time in the triad, my man. Hopefully we get minor league baseball back and we can uh, have you at one of these ballparks when you're out on the East Coast again. Thanks for doing this. No doubt, brother. We might have to talk some NASCAR next week, all right? Kevin Harvick is <laughs> killing him out there. I love it. <laughs> yes, he is. That is Clinton Yates joining us from ESPN and the Undefeated. Uh, talking some minor league baseball, some football as well. And heck, I mean, NASCAR. I guess we'll have to save that for next time. Coming up, I give out grades, letter grades, A through F for the Panthers yesterday. Graham's grades for Tampa Carolina is next on The Drive. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a little winded. A lot of talk. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Before we get the let's get crazy, inviting your hot takes to 336-777-1600. Our ACC... Football rankings are out at accsports.com. Brian Geisinger and myself each week rank the ACC teams 1 through 15. It's kind of difficult if everybody hasn't played. Thinking about Virginia or Virginia Tech, they haven't played to this point. But Clemson's the number one team in my 1 through 15 rankings. Notre Dame is number two. Miami, big win against Louisville on the road. They're number three in my poll. Pittsburgh. They took care of business. They're number four. North Carolina still in at number five. Louisville six. And then NC State, I have them slightly above Boston College, which got the win in convincing fashion in Durham over the weekend. NC State winning in a shootout with Bailey Hockman, who we learned was the starter at the last minute. The left-hander putting up 45 points against the Demon Deacons in a 45-42 win. Uh, And then the, the bottom five of... The ACC goes in this order. Georgia Tech, which took a step back after its win against Florida State, getting dropped in convincing fashion by ranked UCF. Wake Forest, I have them at number 12 with an 0-2 record. Duke, they're 0-2 as well. Competitive against Notre Dame, but then losing at home to Boston College. Florida State didn't play this weekend. They are 14th out of the 15 teams. Mike Norvell not going to be able to coach against Miami this week because he tested positive with coronavirus. And yeah, Syracuse is bad. And they showed that against Pittsburgh. Another convincing win for the Panthers and another convincing loss for the Orange. All right, let's get the let's get crazy. Hot takes are welcome again at 777-1600. It's a segment we built around football season and the overreaction we see Monday morning quarterbacking, if you will, or Monday afternoon quarterbacking, if you will, after NFL weekends, college football as well. Welcome to 777-1600. Let's get crazy. We only have one rule. Make sure the takes are hot. That's it. If it's not hot enough, we'll call you on it. We won't call you on it. If it's too hot, what we will do if it's too hot is reward you with this sound. Robert, do you want to start or should I? Rip the knob off, Josh. Go ahead. 
The L.A. Rams are in the most difficult division in the NFL. The NFC West has the defending NFC champ, San Francisco 49ers, who are dealing with injuries but are 1-1. One one. The Seattle Seahawks, 2-0 after the win against the Patriots, which was a really exciting game. And the Rams are 2-0-2, winning on the road against Philadelphia yesterday. I think the L.A. Rams are not only going to win the NFC West, I think they're going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. It might be an overreaction, but that's kind of the point of this segment. Did we sell too much stock off as a collective media last year on Sean McVay and the Rams when they were so ahead of everybody else in 2018? The offense looked unstoppable. And they still have that guy around, and they still have Jared Goff, and they still had Aaron Donald on the defensive line. Did we overreact a bit to last year, where, by the way, they were still 9-7 and seven on the season, and if it was the current playoff format that we're going into the 2020 playoffs with, would have made it last year. Yeah, for sure. I think we sold a lot off, and especially the name truthers, the people who watch the NFL but only know the popular players' names that thought as soon as they got rid of Todd Gurley, oh, they're not going to have a run game anymore. They were wrong, too. Who do you think the best running back is on the team? Is it Malcolm Brown, who's a bit of a load, or is it Cam Akers out of Florida State? I think it's neither one of those dudes. I think it's Daryl Henderson, and I think he showed that last night. From Memphis. Yeah. Daryl Henderson getting it done. So I think the Rams are going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. I'm excited to watch what the Rams do moving forward. That's a really good division, 2-0 to start the season. Robert, let's get crazy. I was really impressed with a guy yesterday, and his name was not Cam Newton, his name was not Patrick Mahomes, and his name was not Lamar Jackson. And I'll say this right now. If the Jacksonville Jaguars go to the playoffs, Gardner Minshew will win the MVP. Despite That's a big what if, Robert. Despite losing, I was so impressed with this dude, and this is not my East Carolina homer coming out of me. I, I just enjoy watching him play. He is the player that Cleveland thought they were getting with Baker Mayfield, and the Jaguars got him without having to spend a draft pick on him. Robert Walsh, I said I'm going to call out a take if it's not hot enough. If the Jaguars make the playoffs... I fully agree. I don't think anybody would say it's a hot take that Gardner Minshew wins the MVP, but that's a big if. Are you saying the Jaguars are going to make the playoffs? Yeah, sure, just so it fits into your box. (laughs) Do you know what Josh Allen's stat line was yesterday? I assume you're talking about the pass rusher. Not the pass rusher for the Jaguars, actually. I'm talking about the quarterback. Uh, All I know is he threw a ton of yards and put up a ton of fantasy points. Josh Allen was 24 of 35 for 417. Four touchdown passes. How do you like them apples? 415, four touchdown passes. Not bad. A lot of people thought he was just a dude. All right. I got to get this off my chest. We got to do this now. I watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High for the first time on Friday. Doesn't age well. Robert, what were you muttering under your tongue? I said, don't do this. Please don't do this. Because, I, I don't know, you're just a, a, a career hater. 336. 
777-1600 is the phone number. I am a career hater. According to Robert, I... Let me explain myself first before you butt in. Because you might say I'm a hater, that's fine. Fast times at Richmond High, it's entertaining, I'll give it that. But I found myself very uncomfortable at large points of this movie because all I was told when I said I was watching it for the first time was that there were going to be many scenes I needed to pause because of the attractive lead actress. But I didn't feel that way at all, given that she's 15 years old in the movie and she looked every bit of 15 in the movie. So I never really was that into the coming of age sex scenes in Fast Times at Richmond High. Kind of threw me off a little bit. And when the movie ended, I remember saying to myself, eh, did, is this really how it's gonna end? I was surprised, I wanted a little bit more from Fast Times at Richmond High. But am I wrong in this, Robert? I said the movie was entertaining, but can you agree that it is kind of uncomfortable? Not really. I don't find it uncomfortable just because I, as soon as you put, like, I don't know, she's not 15. Like a 26-year-old going out with a 15-year-old in the movie? It's a movie. It's a movie. All right. I think I you're trying to hate too hard. I'm not trying to hate it because, again, I enjoyed it, but I thought it didn't age I didn't well. think you had. I'm not saying you hated it. I'm saying you're hating on it gotcha. too hard. That's right. Justin and Elkin. Let's get crazy, Justin. All right, Josh, I'm going to try to outdo my big fat failure last time I got crazy. So I had two perspectives. I was going to say that an 0-2 Dallas Cowboys were tanking for Trevor, but that didn't age well. I was going to say that, uh, you know, we might have a major golf event where a golfer wouldn't six-putt, but that yeah. didn't age well. Uh-huh. So the best thing that I could come up with was, was that the reason that UNC could not schedule an opponent for this weekend was because B-Dot scared them all away. <laughs> I buy that. B-Dot scared them away. That's Justin and Elkin. All right, let's go quickly through these. Robert, let's get crazy. Uh, we had it all wrong. It's not the Jags. It's not the Panthers. It's not the Redskins. It's not the Giants. The Jets are going to get Trevor Lawrence. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Man, they were bad yesterday. And we got now Excitable Eric calling it from Greensboro. Let's see how Excitable Eric actually is. Let's get crazy, Excitable Eric. Hey, Josh. Hey, Excitable Eric. I have an outrageous hot take. What's that? I think Clemson is going to be pretty good this year. Excitable Eric bringing the heat. Oh, my God. How good are they going to be, Excitable Eric? I just finished off my second Red Bull. (laughs) There he goes. Excitable Eric. Have him go out on a high note. Oh, boy. I don't think anybody can question that take there. Don't touch it because that's a master hot take craftsman right there that's what happens robert in the business of hot takery it's about crafting takes for some people 
you just sit there for hours trying to mold the perfect take. But for Eric, excitable Eric, it was his second Red Bull of the day that got him to the point where he told us Clemson's going to be pretty good this year. Yeah, I feel like that dude comes up with hot takes like that just every single day. Also, I think, excitable Eric, if you're going to call in next week, we really want you to call in, but just tone it down a little. Just a touch. Just calm it down a bit. You're giving the HHL a run for his money. That's right. Just, could you? Coming up, why I'm siding with the Panthers over Cam Newton on this one. This is a Monday Drive. Providing you with a kind of sports programming that makes some people laugh. (laughs) But most people just wince. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. This is the perfect guest for us to have on today, I think, after this weekend in the NFL. It is Dr. David Geyer with us, who is a Wake Forest alum and has a book out that he put out a few years ago that I strongly recommend if you're a big sports fan and you want to have a better understanding for a lot of the injuries and a lot of the procedures that have changed sports. It's called That's Gotta Hurt the Injuries That Change Sports Forever. Dr. David Geyer does such a good job of explaining injuries in a way that's consumable for sports fans. And this past weekend, we saw over two dozen NFL injuries that were significant, causing guys to miss time, including Christian McCaffrey. Fortunately, he's not going to be out for the remainder of the season, like we're seeing with Saquon Barkley with an ACL tear, Cortland Sutton with the Denver Broncos, and a handful of others from yesterday, Nick Bosa coming to mind. But... Talking to McCaffrey and Matt Rule earlier today, we learned it's a high ankle sprain. When you hear that, Dr. Geyer, from somebody who told us, McCaffrey saying he hasn't sustained any injury that forced him out of a game since he was in high school, how concerning is it? Uh, That fact alone is uh, crazy. And again, thanks, uh, Josh, for having me. Yeah, I hadn't realized that he hadn't been hurt. I mean, I don't remember him being hurt, but that's just crazy. Uh, I... I guess I'm concerned short-term. I'm not concerned long-term for McCaffrey. The high ankle sprain is a little different than your sort of traditional ankle sprains where you just sort of roll it uh, um, and hurt the outside of your ankle. This also injures the ligaments between the end of your shin bone and the, the bone on the outside, so it's a little higher up, for lack of a better term. But that, we know, has a longer time to heal. That's typically about four, but usually more like six weeks. But the good thing about that is that very rarely leads to any long-term problems uh, that sometimes regular ankle sprains can. So right now it's a problem, but I think in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about a franchise running back, uh, it could have been worse. Yes, that's the thing that a lot of people were talking about today, trying to take care of McCaffrey. Some, myself including, saying you should probably put him in bubble wrap this year, (laughs) considering he this team's probably not going to be a playoff team. Give me an example of a common injury that would concern you about the long-term health, the long-term asset being a running back. Well, with a running back, uh, and, a, and let's just stick with ankle injuries for a second, where you would get a little more concerned would be if he had uh, an ankle sprain uh, that just kept 
happening. But usually ankle sprains don't need to be fixed surgically, but what can happen sometimes is when those ligaments heal, they heal stretched out. The perfect example is, as the North Carolina area is well going to know, albeit this didn't happen in North Carolina, but as Steph Curry early in his career just kept having ankle sprains over and over again, ended up having multiple surgeries to fix it. That would be a little more worrisome, especially for a running back, or something that involved uh, cartilage damage inside the ankle uh, due to a, a, a sort of a bad twisting mechanism. But this type of injury is above the ankle joint, so it shouldn't have that effect long term. Dr. David Geyer with us here on Sports Up Triad. We've spent a lot of times, it, feel, it feels like over the last year, uh, talking about ankles because of what happened to Cam Newton last year. But time and time again, you kept telling us, hey, it's, it's not uncommon for somebody to get a foot injury. It would be uncommon if it was a long-term injury for Cam's foot. And his foot looked fine the first two weeks of the season. His shoulder seems to hold up, uh, have held up pretty well, throwing for 397 yards last night. But my question to you is, with the multiple procedures Cam's had on his shoulder, how concerned are you about the durability of it during the entire season? The last part of what you said is exactly, I think, the, the concern. It doesn't surprise me that he looks good now. I mean, he had you know a long time off with his foot to rest his shoulder uh, in a shortened preseason and, and with no, uh, no preseason games. I'm not surprised that he, he's throwing the ball. And honestly, the bits I've seen, he, his arm looks as good as I've seen it in, in several years. But you do wonder, as the season goes on, do those small little rotator cuff muscles, the little stabilizing muscles around your shoulder, do they start to fatigue? Because we know that that shoulder is not completely normal. He's had a couple surgeries on it, but my guess is that tendon is probably not like an 18-year-old's rotator cuff tendon. And so I worry come weeks 13, 14, 15, and on, does that uh, the velocity of his passes start to drop or the accuracy because those tendons just aren't firing as well as they normally do and it starts to hurt. So that's where I'm concerned. I'm not as worried about his foot. I think if the foot was going to be a problem, it already would have. So I think that's probably a pretty good sign, which is great, again, for a running quarterback. How amazing is it to you? I know we talked about when he wasn't a Carolina Panther, Teddy Bridgewater's grotesque injury from years ago, which, if memory serves correct, was a torn ACL it also was like structural damage done to like the knee joint. I think it was a dislocation of the knee joint to see Teddy Bridgewater back and playing effective football. It's remarkable. I mean, it's the very, not the very rare exception, but typically after a knee dislocation, and this is not the kneecap. This is uh, uh, basically, that's a term we use to signify that at least three of the four big stabilizing ligaments in the knee have been torn, the ACL, PCL, MCL, and LCL. So some combination of three of those, which is a devastating injury and very often has uh, nerve damage or blood vessel damage, like we saw with McKenzie Milton at UCF, uh, you know, we didn't see nerve or blood vessel damage with Marcus Lattimore at South Carolina, but still a career-ending injury. Uh, I don't know if the Chicago Bears tight end from a couple of years ago has gotten back, but again, it, the chances of getting back to pro sports is typically about one-third that ever play again. Uh, and then the, if the, those that do don't typically look the same. So what he's been able to do uh, is – 
truly remarkable. Good surgery, obviously, good rehab, but then, I mean, there's something about Teddy Bridgewater, uh, and maybe it's his work ethic or something that's different, but yeah, he's the exception for sure, and it's great to see. Dr. David Geyer is with us here on Sports Hub Triad. Again, if you're interested in that book I was telling you about a short while ago, it's called That's Gotta Hurt, The Injuries That Change Sports Forever. And I'm just interested broadly in all the injuries I I referenced from over the weekend, seeing about two dozen of them. There are a number of people, both medical and in football, linking the lack of preseason and how strange training camp was limiting padded practices and conditioning having the team together to the fact we saw as many injuries, um, that being in week two, it being an early part of the season before everybody is in uh, full-fledged game shape. Do you see a relation between the two? I'm going to say no, uh, sort of a hesitant no, and I'll explain why. I think it's more coincidence and bad luck. And it seems like every couple of years we'll have a week like this, and then we try to look for what's wrong. If we had seen more hamstring injuries, calf strains, hip flexors, you know, muscle-type injuries, those I can much easier attribute to the training camp uh, changes, the lack of preseason games. Uh, very similar back in 2011, which I know is a long time ago, but the lockout season, we saw I think it was 10 uh, Achilles tendon ruptures before they ever played a preseason game. That kind of makes sense, but what we're seeing with ACL injuries, Drew Locke having an AC joint of his shoulder injury, um, you know, a variety of traumatic injuries, the high ankle sprains with McCaffrey and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, those typically are more traumatic. You land badly from a, a tackle or, or from a jump or you get tackled awkwardly. That it's really hard to blame on the preseason, especially for somebody like McCaffrey uh, and Saquon Barkley, who probably weren't going to play much in the preseason. So I'm not going to tell you that it's impossible. I think we'll see over the next few weeks, if we keep seeing numbers like this, then maybe there's something to it. But we're not really going to know if there's something going on until we have all season, basically, worth of data. But my gut instinct is that it's more, it's more bad luck and coincidence than a COVID-19 trend. Dr. David Geyer, shoot him a follow on Twitter at DRDavidGeyer. Uh, you do just such a great job of explaining all this. It's clear you're a big sports fan, and uh, hopefully you're back in the triad sometime soon, and more importantly, staying safe. Thanks for doing this. No, I appreciate it. Love it anytime. Uh, you know, anytime uh, college football, as you said, a big Wake fan. Uh, I hated that uh, game day was there, but fans couldn't be there. Yeah. But, uh, and obviously big uh, pro sports fans. So, yeah, love to do this anytime. There you go. And again, pick up the book. There goes Dr. David Geyer. Um, That's Gotta Hurt is what it's called. Making this this show a lot smarter than it would be otherwise. Robert, what was your biggest takeaway there when it comes to his commentary on, you know, all the injuries over the weekend, it not really being linked to preseason camp, being inverted in no preseason games, but also not being that concerned about Christian McCaffrey but also being maybe slightly concerned about the durability of Cam Shoulder. Yeah, probably the Christian stuff. I think that'll let a lot of people rest their laurels a little bit and not say the, oh, we're going to have to tank the whole season whether he's here or not and not worry so much about his health because, like he said, it's kind of strange that the dude hasn't had an injury since high school that kept him out of something. Yeah, 
he has really taken care of himself. Let's get to a couple more things. Mike Tomlin had a memorable moment in his press conference yesterday. I'm a Mike Tomlin fan because he is the master of the cliche. He's making things very dramatic. He kind of relates football to war, which is a thing that happens all the time, I think. But Mike Tomlin, he'll say, man, we made it out of the stadium today. Or we didn't get out of the stadium today. He'll say those things as if like it's life or death. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they didn't make it out of the football stadium that doesn't have any fans. But the Steelers are pretty good. And now everything's had to go virtual. Even if you're at the game, you're having to figure out muting and unmuting, when to ask a question, when not to ask a question. And it seemed there was a bit of a slip-up yesterday with a reporter who probably didn't know his mic was on. Live mic. Can you hear me? That was not yes, me. I can. That, that was not me that swore. Uh, okay. What did you think of the play? <laughs> so we heard a, a bleep in Christ and then him yelling live mic and... I love Tomlin's face that he made. It looked like an emoji. And then at the end saying, yeah, we can. Like the screaming man on the, the bridge. Tone, the tone painting. of voice. Yep, we can hear ya. Let's hear it one more time before we react. Christ. Oh, Mike. Can you hear me? That was not yes, me. Yes, I can. That, that was not me that swore. That was definitely that him was definitely him who swore. Yeah, for sure. There's no question that that was the guy who swore. And that, Robert, you've seen these Zoom calls. It's awkward, man. It really is awkward. But people are just doing their best. It's hard to find really genuine human moments in these awkward, stilted Zoom calls. But Mike Tomlin and this reporter, I think, gave us that yesterday. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's kind of just awkward because you're awkward. But also, the people that are in these Panthers Zoom meetings, they're not all the the most coordinated social people. Like, uh, I'm pretty social. I mean, maybe too social. You're like you're like on, too far on the other side, and that makes it awkward. Give me an example of something I've done in a Zoom call that's awkward. Uh, raised your hand. Other than the time where I okay. didn't know Name, the raise Give me three function. things that I did wrong. Well, okay, in that's just me not knowing. Uh, when someone else tries to talk over you in a question and you're still on the screen and you roll your eyes, that's pretty awkward. Do I do that a lot? Uh, only if someone interrupts you and you pull up on the screen, then that's the only way I would notice it. But... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, inherently, I think these Zoom calls are very awkward. Right. Speaking of awkward, there is a wedding invitation that's gone viral on social media today. Have you seen this? I don't think I have. It's this couple, and they're doing the thing where they're in a field, and they're, they have their foreheads attached to each other. You know that thing when you see on wedding uh, invitations, these wedding photos? And at the very top, it says, bleep COVID-19. We're keeping our date. That's what it says at the top. No masks are allowed. We want 
to see everyone's beautiful mouths. Well, this is not in the UK. We will have a designated cough room. What? This is on the invitation. This is I'm where you sending cough this at. you. If you have to cough or smoke, just go in the cough All room. All right, Robert. I haven't even gotten to the best part, but I just sent you the invitation. Okay? I'm, I'm not going. I'll go ahead and RSVP <laughs> no to this. Take the last bullet point, taking lots of photos of grandparents in case anything happens. That's the last bullet point on this. So again, to recap, bleep COVID-19. We're keeping our date. The three bullet points, no mask allowed, because in parentheses, we want to see everyone's beautiful mouths. We have a designated cough room taking lots of photos of grandparents in case anything happens. Well, maybe this is like a typo and they meant take a lot of photos in case grandparents can't happen to be there or Which something? Which of the three do you think is the most the unfortunate? The, the cough, cough room. room. What, what do you think that? is a cough room? I, I is it a room with nothing in it where people just cough? I, 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 from that description, and the cough room is in quotation marks. So it's not like, come to our cough room. They're it's, being sarcastic Come about to it. our cough room. Yeah, if you need to cough... Go into the cough room. Okay, like that's you, a joke you could you weakling. You could make that in. You're person. getting COVID. Let's not put that on the fly. Yeah, f bomb also on the wedding invitation. Not great, but I expect that from people who are named. These are their actual names, and it might be the best part of the entire invitation. Erica Fartlander <laughs> and Dustin Ween. There's no way this is real. They're actual names, Robert. There's no way this is real. <laughs> this is not a real thing. Because the dude who tweeted this out said, Damn, just got this in the mail. Like, if those are your friends and they felt close enough to send you an invite to their wedding and you just throw it out to the public like this, they either aren't your friends anymore or they never were your friends in the first place. This isn't a real thing. There's no way it's real. <laughs> Yeah, it probably is fake. Because there's no address. There's no date. There's no. Wouldn't that be on the back? I mean, maybe, but Erica Fartlander and Dustin Ween aren't aren't getting married. I, I okay. Look, I'm gonna do an Erica Fartlander search on Facebook, <laughs> and we're gonna see if she's. I'm gonna search Dustin Ween just to see what happens. There's no way. And I. I'm... What name are they keeping though? If it is real, which <sighs> name? Who? Do you want to be a Fartlander or a Ween? I would lean that they were going to say Ween because it's the man's last name, but she could be Ween Fartlander, huh. like hyphenated. Got it. Yeah. I think this isn't real. I think we just got got by the internet. I didn't get got. Well, I, mean, I don't think you got either because if somebody shows up to this wedding, they got got. <laughs> but they got a coughing room, Robert. <sighs> That's what they got. Well, maybe that could be a good a good joke if it was like we're in California, we're in Denver for our wedding, and you could go to the quote coughing room, and it would be like a four twenty friendly wedding. That would be funny. But this this is not funny. I'm finding nothing for Erica Fartlander. But what about Eric Ween? I'm sure there would be a. Oh my God, there is an Erica Fartlander. It's a person. It's real. Is she blonde? Oh, God. oh, she's from Sweden. Okay, thank God. Okay. Okay. I was really worried that it That was... would explain the lack of self-awareness, potentially. Maybe. All right. Well, congratulations on the happy couple. Robert, what do we got in Take It to the House today? You wash up on a nude beach. It's next on The Drive.